How yeah. has day-to-day -day business changed in Ukraine? Because you know, when when we watch the news, when we hear these things, we kind of see the the situation on the ground with soldiers and fighting. But then it's like, how mm -hmm. how has the lives of business people changed day-to-day -day in Ukraine? Oh, actually, I have a potentially a very scary answer: is that people got used to it. Hey Ivan, how are you? I'm doing great. It was a very good Monday, very active Monday, but still very good. It started at like 6 30 a.m. and I oh, had wow. a lot of stuff done. Yeah. What, what, so what, 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 what time is it right now where you're at? Oh, actually, I'm in New York. Uh, it's uh, it's 16, yeah, um, like 30 minutes past, past five. Uh, I'm doing uh, my master's right now at Cornell. Oh, nice. uh, while also, yeah, continuing all the stuff uh, from back home, trying to do whatever I can. Wow, that's all a lot. Nice you know, it's like whenever I like having a lot of stuff to do because otherwise it, it just gets to my head. You know, when I sit down, it's like, what do I have to do? I start to worry. I start to think, okay, maybe I should go and do something right now. But mm -hmm. when I have stuff to do, it just it just keeps me keeps me busy. I like it, Espe especially now with everything that's happening back home. Of course, of course. <sighs> I can yeah. actually I can relate a lot to what you just said. It's that feeling that when you're idle or you're not moving forward or making progress, that time is getting wasted. It's like I gotta I gotta be on the move. I gotta be finding a medium to to improve it. Yeah, I would I would say um, like one thing is that I truly learned and uh in the past maybe like four to five months is the value of uh not trying to rush into things like i i kind of for a long time had this mentality of like oh if i committed to some process or business or project like any minute that i'm not doing something i'm wasting time i'm failing behind uh i'm like i'm losing opportunities and because actually because of that mentality I used to kind of create a lot of unnecessary stress for me and for people I work with, uh, because sometimes the best strategy is to sit and wait. Uh, and um, like while being busy, I can kind of switch between tasks and that would help me to not get anxious when I just, when it's best to sit and wait, I can just go and switch and do my studies. When I'm done with studies, I can go and do my business and just, mm -hmm. Switching really helps for me. Okay. What did you find then was the biggest uh, the biggest difference when you learned the skill of being able to wait and be patient? What was the, what was like what was the negatives of not waiting? And then once you learned to kind of do that better, what what were the biggest positives that came from that? I think the biggest positives that came from that is people around me became much more productive. Like people I work with in the teams they organize. And especially now when um, I have much more people working within my organization than I actually ever had before. Uh, by not pushing them constantly and just giving them time to figure things out, make mistakes, solve them, um, I see that they become more inspired, they become more energized, they become more confident, and they are delivering and bringing in results that I couldn't even think were possible before. So 
I would say, I would say the greatest effect it, my realization had is some people around me. Okay. Okay. And how about on a personal level, Ivan? Sorry, I don't think we've met. I'm James. It's a pleasure. Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, today. Yeah. Also, it's a it's a real pleasure for me to come and be able to talk about what we do, yeah. because like. I know that, uh, especially right now, with with everything happening, uh, there's not many people actually coming in talking about, uh, well, what is like how are Ukrainians building out their lives? Like, what do they do besides not being kind of like helping the war effort? Like, how do they improve mm-hmm. their lives? Like, how what kind of work do they do? And I feel like it is also important to show that especially for our culture, we kind of have this feeling that oh, we always have to pull our own weight. Like whenever someone's helping, like Ukrainians would go like, oh, we need to go and also do something because otherwise it's like, it's not fair, it's not right. And mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the same drive I had where it's like, okay, I want to bring more money into the country. I want to create more, improve the lives of people in there, but I want to do it kind of, the honest way and like by honest like we need to do some work create value for others and that way to get to get to, to bring more stuff inside to bring more taxes more work more spending so all this kind of stuff so yeah i'm very happy to be here today so well, thank, thanks very thank much you. for joining us no absolutely and that's so, uh so you say it's the best way is to no absolutely you say the best way is then to kind of create jobs for your country is the best way to bring money in uh for me for sure because that's uh um i also i also believe that everyone should be doing whatever they can do best like for me business is the best way to the best way for like self self expression because i the way my mind works like how can i create value on a systemic level like and this is precisely what i'm doing it's like we take people we see what they can do best and we find how can we apply their skills to create value for others? So, because I know at the same time, there are a lot of great people who do it through fundraising, who do it through, um, I don't know, sharing news, uh, through pushing some kind of very impactful, uh, like missions where they go and like talk to, I don't know, like politicians and business people and do the impact through there. But for me, it's business. Mm-hmm. So your company does yeah. a lot of kind of like um, you work with DeFi developers, you know, you work in all these kind of different tech verticals. How did you identify that these were the areas in which business oh. should be applied? Yeah. So uh, our whole structure kind of came from the grounds up. So um, when the war started, I I was helping to find found and structure uh, a tech volunteer community. Is it, still exists. We're still building, building things, uh, for the government. We're still building things for just helping other volunteers with their tech needs on a pure volunteer basis, just because we know tech and we're just putting it wherever we can. Uh, but through that community, I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of engineers, especially top tier engineers from Ukrainian, Ukrainian firms, some of which had to close down because they they just didn't, didn't know what to do. Uh, and I kind of saw a the problems that, well, a lot of very smart people lost their jobs. And 
B, after talking to them, I identified, oh, so the pain point within the companies that operate in Ukraine, so which were doing software development and generally around Europe, is that uh, they, uh, they were quite inflexible. They were the kind of firms where you can come, in, come to them, say, oh, I have this very big thing to code and say, okay, here's a very big check. We can go and code it for you in like two years. And really that's the way they operated because this kind of was, I would say, easy business structure to launch. And that just, they just went with it. Uh, and a lot of those engineers I talked to, they kind of complained where they knew how they can imp- could improve the project. They wanted to give their say of like, oh, how do we plan it? How do we structure it? How do we evaluate it? But um, their voices were very often not heard because it's kind of like the business analysts did all the analytics and they just passed it to the tech team and the tech team just execute whatever we wrote. Uh, and I said, okay, let's just take those engineers who lost their jobs and try to form a team based on things they know how to do and were unable to do before and go and offer it to the market. There were a lot of like small details that we had to go through or specifically need to figure out how do we package it? Who do we bring it to? But really the gist of it is we listen to the complaints of people who lost their jobs and it's like, okay, let's try and make it into a new kind of service offered to the market. So what in what way does your business model differ to that conventional model? Because what you described, I'm not quite familiar with, because I remember a couple of years yeah. ago, we hired some developers from Ukraine, actually. Yeah. And oh. it very much was a business model where pay an upfront cost. So we'll tell them what yeah. we want to build. Okay, we want yeah. this, this landing page, we want these applications on the website, these yeah. different features. They would mm-hmm. then say, okay, look, we estimate this is going to take about two months and it's going to cost about yeah. $7,000. And you pay yeah. it up, pay it up front uh, or pay in installments across different deliverables. Mm-hmm. And that was the kind of business model structure. Yeah. So what what's different about yeah. that? Seems like that's what you were getting at, the kind of describing mm-hmm. and like what you guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so specifically, the, the place where we found our niche is for complex projects that usually take a lot of time and a very big budget. So more or less, think any project in um, blockchain. If you go and just try to find developers for blockchain, probably no one would even want to talk to you for budgets less than, let's say, 100K or 200K. They would just say, you know what? No, it's too much hustle. We're out. When you kind of like when you get more money, come back to us. We'll, we may talk. Uh, and why? But, why? Why is that? Yeah. Why? Why would most people reject uh, that? So the main reason is because of risks. Uh, so a lot you put. You need to put a lot of resources into figuring out like, what exactly do we build? How many hours do we put in? And when you have complex projects, and so this that's a very so there's a very big distinction between kind of just web development where you have a lot of things that are the same and you have very little risks to when you go to complex project anything so anything blockchain anything in uh like database architecture anything in security uh you have a lot of unknowns and we talking and we're talking hours difference maybe double even for tasks that we agree on but then on the other hand you also have tasks that you as a client may think it about it in one way but i as an engineer may think it 
about it in a different way. So uh, when you're a business developer in such tech company, you're just sitting here, there's a lot of risks. So this only this whole business model only makes sense after you uh, like just starting at some size where you can just put in resources, estimate it and be happy about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I come from a business world, not from a tech world. And at the same time, I realized, wait, but for a lot of innovations and, and well, innovations are usually where you have complicated tech tasks at hand, uh, you cannot be fully sure how this product should work from day one. So you can't just come in and say, I calculated my, whatever, my margins, my market share here. I put in like half a million dollars, build me this thing and I go and earn money. No, you would come and say, I have a lot of uncertainty. I want to test it as cheaply as possible. How mm -hmm. do I do that? And that's where that's where I wanted to be with the skill set. That's what I heard from engineers. They were saying we can estimate things much better. We can reduce risks greatly if they just let us into the process from day one and not from coding part. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's try. Let's try and combine it. Let's see if it like this whole idea actually works. And so we went to the market. Specifically, we went to two groups of people. We went to um, executive executives and like um, department leads of big businesses with a pitch of, hey, you have ideas. And before you needed to just get it approved with all other departments to get it rolling, because usually it's, those are big budgets and you are not allowed to just spend that amount of money. We offer you an opportunity to test your ideas with small budgets that your department have. And then if it works, you can go and much easier get it approved on a higher level. And we went with, uh, with a, uh, kind of like a similar pitch to serial entrepreneurs where we just approach them and say, hey, you have ideas, you have new things you want to offer to the market. And a lot of those ideas are not really dependent on very new technologies. They're dependent on you using existing technology within a new scope. Like, for example, um, we are... We were have we have been building for the last like three months um, a medical platform for a Middle Eastern uh, market where the whole idea is that uh, the serial entrepreneur we, we've been working on she identified that the market had a very big problem specifically in childcare um, sector where mm -hmm. parents didn't really want to go to to doctors and you need to create a new experience for them to kind of go to doctors as early as possible. And she said, I'm betting that this idea works because I know the market, I know the people, I know how everything operates. So she, instead of going and trying to find a CTO and per se the CTO to join the team and hiring developers and wasting time, she just came to us and said, I know more or less how much those, like this kind of development costs because I, I had entrepreneur experience before. So I'm willing to pay you to build me an MVP in three months which she wouldn't be able to do if she went hiring her own tech team. Um, and while we, while we were building it, even before we finished, she was able to take those prototypes and stuff and raise money with the investors because she had a very clear plan in terms of business from her and tech from us. So basically, that's what we went for. And uh, we are starting to get traction in both directions. Uh, because well, our message, even even though it's very unpolished right now, it it kind of sticks with people. That's great.
That's fantastic. So it sounds it sounds like uh, basically working a lot more closely to the entrepreneur when building out these projects, rather than kind of looking at it from the perspective of the consultants consultancy and saying, "Hey, we can do this for you guys." We're thinking, "How can we work best with you? Understand your needs, and then build on that," which I think is great models. That's that's very true because also because I have um, I have been doing non tech business before, mm-hmm. and I kind of understand the pain of those like early stage innovative projects because they want to get as much information for as little money like that's their goal and I want to be able to deliver for them from day one and then mm-hmm. carry on till day whatever. So, so give us a bit of timeline out of curiosity. So the company is called UAIT Hub. Yes. Did I pronounce it wrong? No. Or that's it. Uh, no. Uh, with the naming, we had we had an issue that like is that, is that a very it's a very Ukrainian name because it sounds okay in Ukraine because basically what it means is UA, which is Ukraine, IT, which is what we call tech sector. Uh, so yeah. IT Hub basically meaning Ukrainian tech hub. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, makes makes sense, yeah, but it doesn't really roll off the tongue in English. <laughs> which yeah, we're, 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 we're working, <laughs> we're, we're working on it. We are uh, we are business people and engineers, not really marketeers. Not not not, not brand right. experts, but you guys will get there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so when uh, when did the company start? Because you mentioned you were having those early stage conversations with uh, yeah. business executives and entrepreneurial entrepreneurs. So when, when give us a timeline of when this kind of started. Mm, I would say middle of mid April is when I I brought this idea within the community. I said, "Here, we have this issue. People are don't have jobs. We yeah. need to do something about it." And we got the first kind of think tank. Basically, I had like fifteen people coming in together. And back then, we had an idea of like, "Oh, let's go and kind of replace whatever." So, Russia, Russian tech sector actually produce a lot of software within the world and they still support a lot of software and kind of our thinking was well those companies are unreliable so go let's go and reach out to everyone they worked with and kind of try to do the replacement with ukrainian software uh that whole thing didn't work because usually as we learned that software is very very specialized and hard to replicate and it's actually being replicated right now by european tech companies uh we're talking like software to control like specific part of some very specific machine uh that molds some some metal forms so mid-april we got our first think tank and by end of april we kind of solidified the, the initial team so in the initial team we had really three people we had me is doing business side we had uh dima doing our like head technology and we had pavlo who is like sales magician like a person who can find you clients out of nowhere with zero with zero budget nice. uh i have no clue how he's doing it but he he is doing it how did you assemble that team Ivan? were they existing friends of yours colleagues university bodies uh people so really uh, those were people from the communities that kind of liked my pitch i just went in and i wrote a big message to the entire community of like 1500 people and said who want to do it and well we got like 15 people initially but really it boiled down to us three and what started what, what community was that where what was that community oh it's our volunteer tech community it's, oh, it's cool. the one where we just build stuff to help anyone anyone who needs help with volunteer things 
Amazing. Uh, including including government. I just want to know what's that called so our listeners can know. Yeah, it's called Stand for Ukraine. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Yeah. No, that's 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 great, Ivan. And uh, how did you vet these people then? If you have fifteen hundred people to pick from, kind of what were your processes in choosing oh, the best salesperson, yeah, so, best coder? Yeah, so I have an answer because I was the person who designed that system. We kind of have an issue that we didn't have a lot of people to do the vetting. We didn't have, like we didn't have resources to do the verification. So we had to be scrappy. And the way we we went about it is a network approach. Basically, if you want to get into the community, you need to get vetted by multiple people. So, uh, like if if one person says you're good, you can come in. If you want to get kind of more higher level of verification you need multiple people to to verify and we build an entire software system we had the entire network of all the people and i could click on anyone and see uh you know kind of this like seven handshake theory i could see the whole thing like who wedded you who like is the person network. who wedded you and so like social yeah network. basically yeah. that's very interesting yeah, basically i think a lot of vcs actually have that model now or they're trying to oh. implement that model cool. yeah because i think you know kind of particularly developing countries there's quite a lot of doubt around how do I know this company's legit? You know, how do I know they, how yeah. can I kind of take their word for everything they're putting on paper? So they need that kind of multiple layers of social proof. Um, is that, is that like a framework you came up with? You were inspired from someone else or where did you see that? Um, so I, I really went on, I looked at how the process worked in its, I guess, infancy, because like the way community starts, basically just people calling their friends. It was like, oh, we got this uh, like lead project manager and we would go and win in the community because we know him. We go ask, like, hey, we need Android developers. Like we need five people right now. He's going, I know, I know people. I'll bring, bring them in. Um, but as time went and we get more and more and more people, it was very hard to specifically find bad actors within the system. And I just put whatever we had into code, kind of just making more automated, but really replicating the way people behave in real life. So you you personally put that into code? Oh, uh, so it was me coding uh, the user and the user side and people from our community. Uh, yeah. So where's the interact? Uh, in our yeah. case, we we are doing all of it within the messenger. Within the messenger that's popular in Ukraine, it's called Telegram. And actually, people from our community did the backend, where they had um, the data stored. So yeah, because at the end of the day, I'm actually an engineer as well. So yeah, I thought you were a businessman, uh, but now you're an engineer as well. So what can you do? And you cannot bring so, communities together as well. So. <laughs> so I have a business degree in Boston and I have, I'm doing a financial engineering degree in Cornell right now. So I'm a, I'm a data engineer uh, by trade, uh, but I'm not, so I'm not the kind of engineer that can write down a code you can sell. Uh, I'm but, very far away from that. I cannot write apps and I cannot write. You and me both. I don't like you and me, you yeah. and me both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got such a long way to go. Um, yeah, but no, it's um, very interesting to talk about that. Can you maybe touch on what do you bring? Kind of, what's the good part about the business side of your kind of educational background? And then, has tech in any way kind of understanding the underlying tech? Is that kind of slowly supplementing yeah. more of the service you're offering to your clients over time? Actually, kind of um, being able to code yourself and getting into the weeds, or 
do you find that kind of the business aspect is a lot more important in your line of work? I would say like the sayings that I really like, uh, and I'm not sure if it's, it translates well into English, but kind of like the real question is uh, like when you ask what's more important business or tech, you're asking which, um, which wing of the bird is more important, right or left. Uh, I, I would say really the key thing is keeping them in balance because the second you think one of them is more important, you're doomed to fail, either writing bad code or forgetting about the realities of life, which is the realities of life. So I would say what I'm bringing to the table is what business end is bringing to the table. And uh, at this stage, we have an entire business analyst team within our organization responsible for that, is making sure that things move and that we uh, understand where they move and why they move. So uh, a lot of the time, the issues we face are in fact very simple and uh like something where client cannot decide of oh what's uh, what's the user load they need to expect or oh what is the kind of uh data security framework we need to use for our specific case uh and even though those questions sound very technical they are not answered on the technical side. And if you go and ask engineers, oh, what would you recommend? They would actually go and give you a lot of answers that do, does, do not answer anything. Um, There's that, even actually uh, a, a term for that I came, I came across. Yeah. Um, it's, in a, it's in a book called Monetizing Inf in Innovation. And they talk mm -hmm. about this thing called feature shock where you leave your yeah. designing all up to your engineers without any sort of yeah. business insight or analysis on what the customer mm -hmm. actually wants. Because engineers yeah. tend to build the most flashy thing and the more features, the better, mm -hmm. right? Because it's fun to engineer more features. Yeah. Let's add this to, oh, I think if we have this thing, it's going to be close. Yeah. And then what happens is you, you give the customer this thing that has all these features that they don't actually need. And it turns out mm -hmm. to to shock them to the point where they can't even use the product anymore because it's like this isn't really doing what I wanted to do. It's, it's doing everything else except the actual goal at hand. The analogies that I use when I when I try to explain it to non tech people is kind of when you go to like a purely software team and ask them like, "Hey, I have this project to build." They would tell you, "Amazing, let's build a one hundred floor skyscraper." But you say, "Hey, but." I have a need for like one floor. It's like, no, but in the future, it's more efficient to build a hundred floor skyscraper. So what's the point of building a one story house? Uh, when in fact, what the business really needs is to build a one story house, then maybe fully demolish it and build your, your, your skyscraper in the future and have more, more information. Because engineers, they like building very nice code, but the world is not changed by nice code. The world is changed by code that does things that are not currently being done. Um, it doesn't Absolutely matter more. if it has... Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it ha has bugs. Like, uh, maybe if it has bugs, it would be hard to use, so you should get rid of some of them. But mm -hmm. if your sole priority is to get rid of all the bugs and make the, the best, most flexible code, you'll have just the things that does something and nobody knows what to do with it. No one, nobody cares. Uh, so, like, in our case, I just see that... We kind of, by, by letting people join the process and being extremely, extremely transparent, like, because in our case, everyone sees all the new projects we are getting into, like everybody, like if you are just an intern in marketing, you see exactly what's going on 
how do we evaluate everything we do? Uh, and you can even come in and say, just add your, whatever your opinion to, to, to the table. Uh, I see that people just learn to work together. It's just, yeah, they, they kind of have rough edges, but the things that they really get, you get over them maybe after a week or two. You have business analysts bringing and saying, here's what the client needs. And here's the thing the clients need, but they don't know it yet. And engineers come in and say, oh, I would, I would just, like, I would recommend going, taking this and this and this choice to be more efficient or just to be more scalable and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, letting people work in tandem from day one just, just works in our experience. So how many people do you have working on one project? How does it, how does it work? Because I was on the website and I was reading oh. that there's like 1,200 people in the company. How, how does it work um, for one project? How do you structure people? Yeah. Uh, so the way we structure structure people for project is that a we go and talk to so we first a, figure out how many people we need to start and usually projects start with maybe five to six people but our goal is to find people that would actually like to work on it so the last thing we want is just get get a bunch of people and just tell them here so you're working on this and they would ah. I don't like. I don't. I hate this project. I don't want to be there. So we go and search. We go and search for people um, that would like to work on it full time, mm -hmm. uh, or in some cases uh, part time if that kind of fits the project. But but we do have a fair a fair chunk of people working project based because they come in. They say, okay, I have this amount of time. Uh, please find a way for me to to be part of of the team. And usually we do. Some people like to work at night, some people like to work on the weekends, some people like to work on some specific days and times. Uh, we just just we just make it work. Kind of like teams come together, they talk, and they it's very rarely that they cannot figure out uh, some some kind of for, best form to communicate and work together. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we generally let projects grow. So we, of course we have project managers who are responsible for communicating with a client and showing the results and communicating expectations. Uh, and we have this product manager uh, talk to our head of technology often to kind of update our own expectation of delivering things. But as we need more people, usually it's the leads of different, uh, leads of different tasks that tell us. I'm going to the lead of design would say, hey, I see that we have increasing scope of 4X for the next quarter, like I feel like me and like this other design won't be able to handle it. Like we really need two more people, and we go and based on who they described they need, we go and search for those people within our network and sometimes outside of our network. What's the structure of these yeah. people being paid then? Because it sounds very ad hoc. Oh. People could join the project, and if they leave the project, yeah. how would all they stay for? Yeah. So one one important note to say, and this is something that I'm also personally struggling with right now, is that unfortunately right now we cannot create kind of like stable work for all those uh, twelve almost twelve hundred people. Now I think it's now it's even more people because most of them are extremely senior engineers, and um, really the who felt job loss the most are usually junior people, somebody who are who don't have too big of a salary to create um, kind of like an emergency fund for themselves. Uh, so for them, it's much easier. So for them, we just hire full-time and they just uh, work, they receive stable salary because that's really what they need. 
uh, for more senior level people who come in project based, they usually come in, they name their prizes, say, I'm ready to do this part of work for this price. And we sh shake hands on it. We get all the documents ready and they do their part uh, and they get paid. Uh, but of course, the system need, relies on responsibility. So you cannot just come in and say, I'm going to work for a little bit and then just get out of here. No. So if you say you're going to do X, we expect you to do X unless some emergency happened in case, in which case we do have backup plans. Uh, flexibility comes in terms of how you work and when you work. Okay. I see. Yeah. So Ivan, actually, if we go back in a bit into your personal history, yeah. you've done loads of stuff, you've kind of P2P projects, you've done real estate projects, if I'm not mistaken as well. Yeah, so you're correct. I think we've all we've all been in those periods where we kind of jump around a bit. I'm sure the listeners yeah. have as well. You kind of jump from project to project, trying to settle on something that kind of has some traction. What did those yeah. kind of experiences teach you? Did you kind of go into them knowing that they were going to be more like training? Or did you actually kind of enter each one like, all right, this is what I want to focus on now. This is what I want to focus on now. And then maybe an add-on to that is were you kind of working on them at the same time or did you plan them out like one after the other? Um, so I think I had two very big experiences that uh, that taught me a lot of running a business. And for both of them, I would say when I came in, I was a little bit too young and a little bit too strong headed. Uh, and a little bit overconfident. So the first one is the one you mentioned about peer-to-peer -peer, uh, financing platform. I was really into this idea of a more free world of having, like, letting people have more control over their finances and how, like, where does they put it in? How does they earn earn income? And kind of removes this barrier of it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars or a hundred dollars, you can still get the same kind of value from your money um and back then my biggest error was that i had this idea that oh if i just build the mvp if i just show people they will know how great of an idea it is i just need to build it and before that nobody will understand um and i even got a bunch of people i, I actually got a team of i think eight people we were working on we were building stuff uh we had multiple we had like four co-founders who were all more or less the same age as me who were kind of just putting in their own time whatever they had saved um and then i learned that no actually if you have a good idea you need to learn to tell people about it you need to make people excited to make people actually care about it because otherwise you may be solving your own fantasy and not problem of others you know creating value you just customer making first, yourself right? happy i guess exactly yeah, customer customer first. First. yeah because actually i was speaking to a friend of mine recently who has a very interesting framework whereby he makes simply kind of finds his market and finds his niche just underserved or an existing mm -hmm. product isn't up to scratch he'll then create a landing page online and simply have people sign up for it before he even has a product you know spend a few yeah. hundred quid on fiverr upwork get someone to kind of make screenshots and a mock-up before he even yeah. really has any idea of kind of what the UI is going to be like, what it, what, what yeah. platform is going to be on, you know? Um, yeah. Validate product idea, uh, ideas very quickly. Is that something that you've tried before? If you'd recommend to listeners to try out as well? 
I would say if you have a good idea, you need to, the first thing you need to do is go and tell people about it in a way that makes them excited and makes them kind of say either I want to use it, where do I sign up, or I want to be a part of the team, or I want to be an investor. Just like tell them in a way that would make them make their heart go faster. Uh, using whatever like visuals, it's gonna be it can be a landing page, it can be just a really nice PDF of like slide deck, uh, a memo, just whatever form it fits you, but learn to tell your story, learn to tell your value uh, before you go and code anything. That's kind of a thing that I learned. And my second experience is one you mentioned about um, about real, real estate, estate investment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that kind of like, that was still as a part of the same idea of I wanted to uh, I want financial markets to be more accessible and more free to people of all. So irrespective of how much money you have, I want everyone to have kind of similar opportunities. That's, that's, that's my, yeah, my it's, name. It's, it's, I a still stick to. it's a very clear theme yeah. throughout all the stuff you've done. Uh, yeah. And it's in, nice in, to see you have Ukraine. this kind of overarching oh. vision and then repeatedly finding different ways to actually try and achieve that goal. Uh, because I really believe that in by by giving more opportun- more equal opportunities to people you make the whole like our whole economy more efficient you're growing the pie instead of just taking a bigger share for yourself uh but the general idea of my second experience what i learned is do not be afraid to bring partners to the table like i, I hear a lot of people kind of saying that oh i have an idea but if i go and share it with somebody they're gonna steal it or like oh why would i go give someone 20% of my, of my future business. If like, I can just do it myself and just be a successful thing is bringing people on board, bringing smart people who are different from you, uh, go and what, like share, um, share your business and do not be, uh, too greedy when you share things that has not been built yet, because you're like shooting yourself in your knee by doing it alone, both, in terms of just actual performance, you will perform worse, but also mentally, because when things go hard and you're alone, yeah. uh, it's much harder to kind of move on. But if you have three to four people, it's, it, just, it just pops. It kind of, it's, that's what I learned during my second business, where but I learned the hard way. I was too hesitant to bring people on board, and I didn't know how to do it properly. Was it for the reasons you just said? Was it kind of fear of failure? Was it you weren't completely convinced in your own idea or was it kind of a combination of multiple things? Um, the main issue was that I was afraid to bring in people who were too different. I didn't know how to operate with them. In that specific case, it was more about business versus legal. I didn't know how to bring legal people on board because they were like, oh, they're so different from me. They think differently. They're all about like risks and being careful and being very like slow and methodical. But like for me, it was like, go, 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 let's go and build. So I didn't know how to, how to work with them. Uh, and so it kind of uh, slowed everything down. Uh, the project really, really stopped for a different reason. We, we had uh, like, I think it was on February 22nd. I've been talking to a few people who wanted to actually put in the money into the first investment properties that we were bringing in. And they were saying, you know, we are worried about Russian invasion. I was saying, no, there's no way they're going to invade. It's going to be so absolutely stupid if this happens. Like, there's just no way. And then on the 24th, you know what happened. 
so that's really kind of what made the project stop. Uh, but I say, still think the idea the idea is valid, and whenever the market returns to better conditions, I will get back to that uh, to the whole project. But really taught me during what like six months I was working on it that how to talk to people who are different and why it's so valuable to bring in them on board early. Mm. I think one point about that, two things I have to say about that actually is that yeah. right, entrepreneurs are always selling, right? It's like you got yeah. to be able to have the charisma and the ability to make people believe in your idea and not just believe in it, but yeah. want to join you as well. And when you, when you yeah. said like people have that fear of why should I give away 20% of my business? But it's like, what if giving away 20% of your business is going to help your business grow by 5,000%? <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's like this person could actually yes. help you make this into a million or a billion dollar company rather than just being making, you know, 100,000 in a year by yourself. Yeah, uh, but Ivan, I want to ask you, you know, m more, uh, probably more sensitive question about the war at the moment, and like, how yeah. has day-to-day -day business changed in Ukraine? Because you know, when when we watch the news, when we hear these things, we kind of see the the situation on the ground with soldiers and fighting. But then it's like, how mm -hmm. how has the lives of business people changed day-to-day -day in Ukraine? Oh, actually, I have a potentially a very scary answer is that people got used to it i mean like uh, like right now like i'm talking to a few uh just people my age who are in kiev right now they're also entrepreneurs in some other areas and like they would just casually say oh sorry we have like rocket striking kiev we're gonna go away for like 10 minutes and it's like everyone's like yeah that's how things are uh like people People say, yeah, it's scary. The people say, uh, people, you actually hear the dread in people's voices when you, when they talk about, uh, another like mass grave that was uncovered in a, um, in the freed, freed areas of Ukraine. But people are not scared anymore. They say, yeah, that's, that's our life right now. Yes. A rocket may fly through the window right now and there is nothing we can do about it uh for me it's especially scary because i am so not really i'm not scary but like it hits me every time because when i think about like i'm sitting in a safe area and like i do not need to worry about anything bad happening to me but like my family my friends they all all of them are in the mood of yes that's life right now we have to do the best we can and hope nothing bad happens which is out of our control but people try to live normal lives. They do everything they can to live normal lives. And I think it's incredibly strong of them. And yeah. I mean, yeah, it's an incredible testament to the resiliency of the Ukrainian people, right? It's, it's inspirational. Yeah, it, it is. But like every time I think, whenever I really think about it, it just, you know, it just hits me like, like, is this really the world we live in? Like, is it like, is this really happening today? I'm also in a way thankful for that, like, the whole, so this whole experience, like talking to people who are talking to my friends to, who are back home to family who are back home, it may be much more aware of what's really happening in the world. Because, you know, when it's far away, you would, um, a lot of people kind of try to not to think about it um experience that my family and my friends went through uh 
pushed me to kind of think about what well who is going through a similar experience right now around the world and i really hope that throughout my life i will never forget the struggle that other people go through and i will be able in whatever way i can help them as well mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah this is kind of yeah no, my five cents no absolutely <laughs> it's uh just one thing to go through struggle and another thing to come out stronger and to maintain that strength yeah. so you know all the respect to you but thank man. you thank you i just want to say that i have i am very enjoying this conversation and i have as much as much time as you're willing to to to, to talk to me because it's 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 fascinating to talk to a fellow-minded uh, people who kind of you know i feel like you understand me and i understand you absolutely no absolutely fantastic yeah. no great to hear i had a question about uh completely different style of question so <laughs> yeah it's gonna go be for it <laughs> but so naturally you have people coming in to the company and ask and asking for different projects to be made are you seeing yeah. any trends at the moment of what software skills are most in demand because i know you got a lot of different people with a lot of different skill sets but are you finding that there's a theme in certain types of skills that you know every time you know people want this stuff so it might be like you know front-end react or blockchain or whatever it'd be really interesting because i know the reason i asked that is for a specific reason as well because mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of our listeners yeah. want yeah. to kind of break out of the nine to five cycle yeah get, get into the world of business but these days people realize that the world of business and the world of technology are like this mm-hmm. like they're, they're like brother and sister mm-hmm. like you, you, one does not live without the other you want to business yep. 2022 well you're gonna have to learn something about technology so a lot of them are thinking and, and james included like how can i now yeah. build, build some tech skills where can i build out my mm-hmm. small level or a large level of expertise in technology and kind of use that to my advantage in business so i, I imagine a lot of people would love to hear like if there's a particular area and technology that is gaining a lot of traction in the entrepreneurship world or somewhere somewhere that you've seen there's a lot of new business in that particular area that would be really really interesting to hear um i have a little bit of a tangential tangential answer for that but i think it it would connect uh, to your question so one thing i was really interested in like to see okay what are the salary distribution among different technologies and there is something that really stood out to me that people coding on solidity so coding blockchain uh they earn a lot of money like we're like crazy amount of money they're earning like i would say at least three x the average of people of the same seniority on on any other technology so but we are only talking like hard skills hard tech skills um but yeah so if you want like like you were talking big money a lot of solidity developers they actually enjoy a more of a project-based lifestyle where where what you would call like digital nomads where you just you take your computer you just go to whatever to any warm country you would you enjoy just sit there uh, somebody would call you and say hey we're gonna why are you out of money can you write this code <laughs> hey, yep. sign, sign me up it sounds like the dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like like we had a few of those people coming and like uh i look at the estimates i look like price breakdowns and then just sometimes i go and tell 
uh, my other co-founders, you know what? Maybe we should just go and like become, become blockchain developers. developers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you, you, you know, oh. you know, you know, they like being digital nomads because they're already making so much money from crypto. Yeah. They're like, you know, just give me yeah. a project. I don't want to work full time. <laughs> give me the project. <laughs> crypto is making me the money. I'll do that stuff. <laughs> but no, that's, quite, that's very interesting. Oh. What do you yeah. think that is? Just a lack of demand because it's such a new technology coming out, or is it inherently more difficult to learn? Or what do you what do you reckon? Um, developers get paid so much more. Mistakes on solidity cost business much, much, much more. So if for so okay for any other technology, like if you're a coder, I don't know, React, and you're like uh, coding on Python or something, um, you are competing. Like you can be like a a very skilled person, but you're competing price-wise with 50 junior level engineers just sitting and just like monkey code, basically monkey coding your, your thing. Yes, it would make a lot of mistakes, but QA will, QA will figure it out. It's fine. Um, but with Solidity, it doesn't work like this. With Solidity, you're not competing with anyone. And like market is very small and anyone who has money and has experience, they know. Mm -hmm. If that person makes one mistake, I'm going to lose everything and probably even more, whatever I paid. So I would, I would be happy to pay like 50% more, but not have mistakes. And so um, for you to be like a, a well-paid solution developer, you need to be very skilled. You need to show like, here are my projects, here I know my stuff. Um, and if you can do it, you're earning, you're earning big money. Um, and everyone would say you, you're going to be kind of like a golden, a golden goose. Everyone would be just like, I want to get in line yeah. to, to get, to get, to get my share of, of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also I would really like to point out that one thing that is really important are soft skills. So specifically the kind of soft skills of, um, people problem solving where uh, a very often what what uh, i face as kind of whole organization phases is that you just have like a few people come in to a team meeting trying to solve a singular problem together as a team and for some reason they just cannot get on board to work together just something like some some issues it just stops them from understanding each other uh and kind of all of them would go into this basic state of i'm against everything try to convince me and when you have everybody just go into this mode of i'm against everything convince me nothing gets done yeah. um but every once in a while you get those engineers who kind of be okay i know you're all against let's find a solution and they kind of like chalk their way with people to find a solution to make a way everyone to work together and this is extremely valuable because as a solidity developer you are kind of bound by whatever you as a person can code and like you want to earn five times as much money well, you better figure out a way to code five times more code, which would be pretty hard. But if you have those great social uh, soft skills, manager skills, you want to earn five times more money, you can go and manage five times more people, which is in practice much more doable than to write five times more code. So yeah. I would say uh, baseline solidity, you're going to earn very good living, probably enough for your lifetime. Uh, but if you want to, grow and grow and grow soft skills really matter talking to people okay yeah that makes that makes a ton of sense to me because in my experience so i'm 
by day a Python developer in the financial services industry. And I think one of the reasons why, I mean, I, I was even given the job was because they said, you know, we've seen a lot of good coders, but very few of them have the communication ability of yourself. So I think something that I, see, I saw a lot my, in the industry as well, that you have these like super geniuses when it comes to web development or software development. But then when it actually comes to being able to communicate ideas to somebody else, it's like trying to get blood from a stone. You're like, oh, what the hell? I don't, I don't understand why you're clearly a genius, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's not, uh, ideas by themselves are not as important as also how you make people understand them. Because I said you may think the smartest thing out there, but if no one wants to listen to you because you sound like a, like a very annoying bad person, and everyone just get hurt by your words, you're not gonna get anything done. So learning to communicate properly and making others feel comfortable to share, to be also productive, that's incredibly valuable. Specifically because it's very hard to learn. Solidity, it's you need to sit down and just learn a lot of stuff. But with soft skills, you, it's, you don't even know how to learn that. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people say you either have it or you don't have it. I don't personally believe that. I think it's something you can learn. I absolutely think it's yes. something you can learn. and. You know, for some people, it's going to be easier because of their personality. If you're like an, an extrovert as mm -hmm. opposed to an introvert, you're going to find, you know, being around people, of course, a lot easier yeah. if you're an extrovert. But, you know, I've seen some very introverted people that when I met them in a group, you know, they seem like the mm -hmm. most charismatic individual in the room. I was like, whoa. And then I spoke to them personally. I said, so would you say you're introvert or extrovert? Of course, extrovert, right? I said, no, actually, you know, being around people used to scare me. I used to get nervous. They know how to speak to people. But I learned this over time. And it comes down to practice, right? Anything you practice, you get better at. Anytime you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, that's when you learn the most. Uh, that's ex that's very true for me because, uh, like, for a very long time. So I am a very introverted person. For oh. all of my time until I went to college, I was actually so. I was studying. I was in high school and middle school in Ukraine. I went to like a science science specific like like science oriented school group where we just hang around with the same like 25 people and like our social activity was going to like uh science events and like solving math problems and stuff no like I i'm i'm absolutely for real like i was like i was the most comfortable just sitting like solving equations and stuff and only when i went to like one of the reasons why i went to uh, a business undergrad is because I just said to myself, I want something different. I want to learn to, to grow as a person. And that's why I went to business where all, everything I had to do is just talk to people and just like communicate myself. Um, even one time as part of one of the classes, they just took me and put us on the stage in front of like 250 people and said, Hey, give a TED talk. I was like, what the hell? Like, like I can solve an equation if you want, but what the hell is, what the hell is a dad talk? And like, I just had to figure it out. And this so kind of off, like, off the top of your head you, with bro. no preparation, you had, you had to find a topic on that spot or do you have time to at least prepare? Or... Oh, it just sounds, I, like, I, it I sounds had, like a funny story, doesn't it? I want to <laughs> I I dig into it. Oh, I will, I will share. So I had a little bit of time to prepare, but still I was very unskilled in that, in that area. And like talking for like, so it was like a small, small version of TED Talk. We had to talk about something for seven minutes. 
And for me, even talking for seven minutes, like that was a lot. Like, I, I mean, I was solving equations before. Like, what the hell is that, man? Um, so I thought okay, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to incorporate a whole minute of silence into my talk. So I need to only talk for six minutes. Um, oh, and you could tell yeah. you, you're a scientist or you're an engineer uh, because you know, you know how to make a hard situation into a simpler situation. <laughs> you're definitely an engineer. Oh, yeah, but... But that is the reason why they put me on stage in the first place, because everyone was kind of like talking and talking and talking. But my whole, my whole, I, like my whole idea was that we are so used to talking that whenever we hear a silence, we feel uncomfortable. We want to fill it with something. But how about we go and sit with our own thoughts for a little bit? And kind of like that one minute of silence was to make everyone kind of feel either uncomfortable or self-reflect but it just hit people because for them silence is really especially in american culture like silence is something that's usually perceived as being like weird like oh you have nothing to say that's why you're silent and so i was silent for a minute and the whole class went oh my god like so like like uh complete mind blown and they said go and like tell this whole thing because they picked a person from every group to go and talk in front of everyone. And so it put me on stage and I had the same thing. Like I was silent for a minute and I saw people in the first row, like actually sweating because it was like, oh no, he forgot words. He forgot his words. No. It was like, and then they kind of started, started getting like what the whole point of the si minute of silence was. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience that uh, made me much more confident. Now I, I'm not afraid to go and talk to people and yeah. I mean, clearly so, right? You spoke to us for like one hour. <laughs> you got lots and lots to say. So you're, you're the master of talking now. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe we should have a minute of silence every every podcast episode. Then. <laughs> well, I think some of our listeners would prefer 45 minutes of silence, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ivan, you make yeah. a great point, which is obviously, as everyone I'm sure knows, throwing yourself into the deep end is absolutely essential. Um, Public speaking as well, you know. Even I would, I would admit for myself, even speaking in front of a mic or on camera, um, before I joined my job, my last job at a bank, mm -hmm. I wasn't very comfortable kind of doing online calls. I'm not a big caller in general. I'm much more comfortable when I'm in person, um, and it's just mm -hmm. really throwing yourself in the deep end where you're kind of almost forced externally to kind of adapt yeah. and get better at something that you really do. So, can you think of any situations, maybe? something more personal in your personal life as opposed to more career life uh where you've kind of really thrown yourself into the deep end oh yes rewards from it. oh you got yes, plenty i have yeah. i have a story and all the time it's in like, the world to tell us them yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so the story is actually very short and it's very kind of like um so before i came to the us i had actually a very small exposure to what actually yes looks like so but i watched a lot of movies like i like a lot of movies like oh how's the university look like high school look like and it's, it sounds silly but something on my very first day of university clicked and i just i just walk in into the cafeteria and i just said i want to go and meet new people and i just found a first person sitting on their own and I just sit next to them. I was like hey can i sit next to you and we just started talking and like and the reason why it was important, uh, why it was for me important is because that person ended up being like a very smart guy from like a finance, like he was like a head of 
quantitative trading in the finance club. He was building building all those algorithms to do kind of stock analysis and fundamental research. And um, for me, that was a completely alien world because I was doing equations, like I was doing the mathematics and stuff, and I was very far, very far from actual like what you so computer engineering, software engineering, and the way like he kind of got me inspired he was like he, the way he talked about this stuff he really cared and kind of the end of that of that meeting was like he said hey you should go and try in our club like i'm gonna teach you how to do like this software stuff and for me that was a beginning of like an entire big road of my life because now i really like software i think i think it's cool like i i don't have too many skills in it but i can do my data engineering i can do i can do my like uh some basic machine learning stuff and it was just this one decision to just sit down with someone online instead of just sitting on by myself and watching a youtube video um they just kind of show me a new side of who i can be so yeah that's kind of a story that I, I like it a lot this is a great story yeah and just to touch on the point at the end there in yeah. terms of if i'm kind of someone in university looking to start a new kind of skill in tech that we've touched on a number of times already. Where do I start? Like, where should I start learning more? Because obviously you've mentioned solidity quite a lot, but obviously, yeah, you know, the average 18, 19 year old who doesn't even know how, the first thing about coding is not going to jump in at that deep of an end, right? So where, where would I start if I was a beginner? Uh, so I would start like if you want solidity, you need to get like actual good software software background. So and where to look for them is actually within university, specifically student led clubs. You have a lot of people who care about sharing whatever they know with others uh, because it's like a way for I would say a way for them to self express specifically for older students. Or they said, I learned something and I want to share. Those students are very few and far between. But usually those are people who come on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. and say, I will teach other students something without getting paid or whatever, just, like, just because I care. And those are the people you need to look, look for. So you want, so if you want to well, go with Solidity and actually whatever, any software that you want to go for, and you're in university, go look for clubs that do something. So have something to do with specifically software development. It can be uh, game creation. It can be whatever, like in my case, it was uh, quant trading. But whatever people, where people actually build software where they care about it being good software. Because it's very likely you'll find there are senior people, senior students who would like to teach you how to be better. And that's going to be a step number one. And it will, you will, as you go with the flow, you'll see where to go from there. But that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. So it's important actually to kind of find projects that you're interested in and that other people are excelling in, as opposed to, I think a lot of people would maybe approach it as, oh, I need to learn X language and just need to learn it as well as I can. And then that will allow me to do things. Or would you say it's actually better to commit? come at it from oh. more like a project and interest angle when learning to you know code and diving into software yeah. for the first time oh so that's that's a very good way to put it because um making projects 
uh, is the best way to show what you what you so a to learn b to learn how things are done in practice because something like a lot of stuff the way you do it by the book is not how it's really done in practice and like by building a product you will kind of get some understanding of how it's done in practice and three when you're going to be go and look for more opportunities if you just show like okay i have built this you're done that's like it's periods they will look at it and say amazing cool let's go yeah exactly yeah i was about to say even when they're looking for jobs um, I've noticed that people are saying, oh, they want this project and that project. Oh, but I can, I, I know I can code. I can do this and that. And it's like, well, where's the proof? You know, where, where's the, yeah. what the kind of number of applicable projects and experience you have in that arena. So it's very interesting. Yeah. You agree there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think specifically for, for, for software developers, it's, uh, you have such great opportunity today because you can work with on projects all over the world with people all over the world because like software is easy to kind of move around you just send a link compared to if you're you know, like a biologist because you can just you know, ship a, the same frog around to take samples uh, it's like you have opportunities you can i don't know you can go on reddit and find it for yourself like a group of people to go to game and those people can be from you know where um everywhere so uh, take your opportunities build stuff because even when because that's what will teach you things that are important in real life other than just learning the book which book is important you will you will read the book a lot while you're building stuff because you're like how do i do this oh okay that's how put the book away and start start coding it's kind of like my experience in university and right now running running an organization so would that be your kind of one standout lesson for a young entrepreneur like a first-time founder would it be kind of throw yourself into projects firsthand don't spend too much time trying to kind of learn all of the the basics before getting your feet wet kind of thing if there's one thing I want to tell to young entrepreneurs is, oh, not one thing, but kind of like the gist is learn to inspire people about your ideas, get different people on board and start building stuff. Start small, fail, and just work on it until it, until it works. Do not go big. Go big after you made, kind of like successfully started small. That's the thing. Do not be afraid of someone stealing your ideas do not be afraid of uh sharing your success and don't be afraid of being too small um you will grow as as you will see opportunity but you can only grow if you start if you start somewhere where do you see yourself oh. in kind of five years oh okay so in five years i i i have a vision like i want to turn uh like our organization into an actual hub for tech specialists where we have many businesses connected to us and we being uh i would say a community-based tech department where imagine you have a bit we have like 10 businesses connected to us uh and each business kind of gets an opportunity oh they need more people to expand whatever software they have they just go and get more people from the community they see that they do not do not have a need to develop as fast they can let people 
back into the community. Uh, so basically, you share expertise, you share knowledge, you share specialists, and you become, as a business, more flexible. Well, at the same time, people within the organization, within the like this big tech community, they get the freedom to just shape their work, where they see, oh, I really like the projects that firm A works on. So I would go and look for, oh, for more openings within them. Or, hey, I'm really looking for something new. So I go, I'll go and do a little bit for A, I'll do a little bit for B, I'll do a little bit for C. Or they can go and say, I, I have some personal things I need to attend to. So I'll go and I'll scale down my work for now. And I only work for this amount of time. And it would just kind of like linearly impact my compensation. I won't need to kind of go and fire myself just because I want to spend more time with family, for example. Or they can say, hey, I really like this new project managers. They're really doing something cool. So we'll go and look for more ways to work within their team. So I want to give agency to the people, to the engineers, they choose what they work on. And then, and, and, and that's, that's kind of my a little bit bigger dream. I don't think I'll be able to get there in five years, but I want to change the way venture capital works because usually venture capital works like this. Someone comes with an idea, some very smart people kind of make a decision, okay, I give you money or I don't give you money. Give choice in the hands of people so that within my organization, you can have someone come up with an idea, pitch it, and the response wouldn't be just me saying, I give you the money or I don't, but our head of front end can say, you know what, I really believe in this guy. I'm going to go and... Um, invest in him but not with money but with hours or for example and marketing interns say oh that's a really good idea i want to be part of it i'm going to go and invest with my hours someone can say oh but i want to invest with money uh, but the point is you, you you give an opportunity to make choices to everyone of course as the value of a senior solidity engineer would be higher than the value of the time of of intern in marketing but still everybody has an opportunity to put in they choose what they think will have an impact and um kind of i know have agency over over how they're developing so that's this is kind of maybe i want to give this agency to people so they can put their resources where they think they will work and um yeah that's that's more of a i would say more of uh a little bit of a wish, uh, wishful thinking, but I want to find a way to make it work. Nice. Yeah. It's, 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 as, <laughs> as James pointed out earlier, it's like a consistent theme in all your visions and ideas is to give people more power to be, live and build their best lives. Which, which, by the way, I, I think James, I can speak for you here as well. We both absolutely love because that's the whole idea behind our podcast as well, to give people ideas to live yeah. their best lives. Yeah, I. So thank you for I, being our model guest. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. I, I guess the last thing I want to say is that uh, if someone wants to kind of remember what I'm doing, who I am, I'm a big fan of people. I feel that I want to create opportunities for people to be the best they can, because I think people, when they are creative, when they're free, can make impossible things, and I like impossible things. So, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thank I, you th thanks so much for coming on honestly thank you so much you for too. your time we really appreciate really, really it was a pleasure you. had a great time it was man. a pleasure for your time appreciate yes. you man i wish you all the best
Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.